Okay. <laughs> Kia ora whanau, e te whanau. Kia tau, kia tātou, te atu whai me te rangi marie o te atua, which is grace and peace from our God. And he is surely here, uh, pouring out his grace and his peace upon us. Hallelujah. Just to say again, that women's conference does look like a real, uh, it's like it's going to be dynamite. And uh, uh, the women who are going to be ministering, amazing. What did you say, Sally? A wonderful woman ministering and a man. Does that mean the man's not wonderful? <laughs> we know he is. We know he is. But it's going to be a great time. Um, hey, it's good to be here. And uh, Philippians is our series that we're going to be uh, cracking on with as a church. And uh, uh, we're going to be doing a series, and I, I love it when, as a church, we do this. We go through a series. It's like we, we kind of submit ourselves under what the Scriptures will take us or where they will take us. So in that sense, we have no control over the topics as such. We are working our way through the Bible or through a book in the Bible. And so Philippians is only four chapters long. You could read it in about 15 minutes. Uh, but we're going to be sitting in Philippians for, well, quite some time. And we want to just go through it and... Uh, and I'm praying that we'll be shaped and challenged and changed by the Word of God as we go through it. So you might want to study Philippians over the next weeks and uh, uh, think about it, pray about it. And let's really look for God to uh, work through it and affect us, have our lives transformed and changed. I'm aiming for nothing under that, that God will transform us. So, so Philippians, this is like a, a bit of an introduction today. And uh, the actual passage today is the first uh, 11 or so verses of that chapter. You might like to turn on your Bibles over to the passage, or you might want to just look on the screen. We'll have it up in a second. McKenna is going to come up now, actually, and just read these verses. Once she's read the verses, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just unpack a bit of background and kind of introduce us into the series. So uh, hold on to your hats, uh, McKenna. Off you go. Thank you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we know it's inspired and breathed by your spirit. And so, Father, we want to, as it were, as a church, submit ourselves under your word and uh, allow your word or allow you through your word to speak to us. And I, I pray that you will be doing that through this series in Philippians. And even right now, by your spirit, please give us ears to hear what you would say to us as a church and as individuals in it. Father, I ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Okay, so a bit of intro, really. First thing to note is that Paul here is writing to the uh, uh, deacons and elders, which um, immediately tells us that this is a well-established church. All right, it's been going for some time. Commentators say that. It must have been going for about a d d decade or so, so it's well-established. 
And uh, Paul begins the way he begins nearly everything he writes. Grace and peace to you uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a theme throughout all of what Paul writes. It's about grace and peace. All right, this morning is about grace and peace. As we've been breaking bread and sharing uh, the bread and the, and, and the juice, it is grace and peace. The wonderful prophetic words we've had this morning about sitting under the fall, the, the waterfall is the waterfall of grace and peace. All right, so if there's anything that, wants a, that we want to mark us out as a church, it is this, is that we have the grace and peace of God upon us. All right, this isn't just a, a social thing that we do. It is the people of God gathering to his grace and peace. That's the first point, and it's a great point. Um, but actually the real key to this passage, and I think actually to the whole of Philippians, is verse 3 to 6. And I'll just put that up on the screen here. And uh, this is really powerful. In all my prayers, Paul says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And you see, this verse is key. I believe it's key to an understanding about God and about how he works in your life and mine. All right? It's key to that, as I hope to unpack with you. You see, as an aside, and I've always found this interesting, as I've looked out on the world and looked out on kind of secular business and this kind of thing, uh, I've always been struck by how some of the biggest and most successful projects in the world have often started from, from beginnings that are very shaky and unpromising. Have you ever seen that? I think one of the, the, the major examples of this would, of course, uh, be Apple. Uh, that tech company Apple, which is a massive, massive company. And in fact, in the last few months, it's, uh, it's actually reached one trillion US dollars in the, in the value of the market, on its market over value. One trillion dollars. I can't even picture what one trillion looks like. One trillion. I probably only ever said the word maybe three or four times in my life. You know, trillion. We don't use it much, do we? Well, well Apple... Its market value is worth that, which uh, if you don't know what that looks like, it's more than the individual GDP of uh, 183 countries. And some of those countries include countries like Sweden and, and some of the northern European countries. It's how big Apple is. It's a massive, massive company. And, uh, but have you ever thought about where it came from and how it started? And if you know where it started, it actually started from... from that house, which I think is quite beautiful, really, because it's a totally nondescript house. There's nothing outstanding about it at all. And in fact, it didn't start in the house. It started in the, in the, in the garage of the house, as, as two guys, Steve Jobs and somebody else, started tinkering with, with computers. And there's no hint that one day it will become the giant that it is. And, and it's funny now because this is just privately owned and, and apparently you know, coaches and buses turn up and people come out and take photos of this house. I mean, can you imagine owning the house? You know, what are they doing on my lawn? Go away, go away. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no hint at all in terms of what it would become. Very unpromising start, totally nondescript. And as for its competitor, Microsoft, which is also massive, 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 well, it, it started from this guy. And all respect to Bill Gates, but back then he doesn't look very much, does he? Be honest. I mean, he's not going to light the world up, is he? 
and apparently he and a friend again, in high school even, were messing about with computers then. And there's nothing about him, this kind of socially awkward guy, no hint that he would one day become or be instrumental in the movement of this massive, massive company. There's no hint there at all. And of course, for every one of these guys, there are hundreds and possibly thousands of others who we don't even know or hear about because they didn't make it and their companies fell over and we never hear about them again. So the story of these two guys is quite extraordinary, but but as I was thinking about this, I thought, how good it is to be a child of God because what is rare in the business world is common in in the kingdom. Right? It is common in the kingdom of God. In fact, it is the way God works. God purposely chooses the unlikely ones. All right? He chooses the weak things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not, as Paul says, those who can't make it. He purposely chooses them and makes them productive and makes them something in the kingdom of heaven. It's what God does. And you can see this throughout the Bible. So God chooses Abraham, an old man who can't have any children, to become the father of, 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 of countries. This incredible father, but he, his old man can't bear kids. Or you think of uh, um, the youngest son of an obscure shepherding family becomes God brings through and makes him the king, the greatest king of Israel. It's what God does. Or God grabs hold of a a hater of the church, someone who's out to destroy the church, and brings them through to become the Apostle Paul. It's what God does. He begins a good work, and he carries it on to completion. And, of course, you can see it right here with this church in Philippi. You can see it happening right here because because here it is 10 or so years on from when it started and now not only is it established, this church actually is an outstanding church in the scriptures. It's a great church. Paul raves about it to the Corinthians, you know, holds them up as a generous hearted church, uses them as a great example. In fact, interestingly, you know, it's the Philippian church alone that Paul allows to receive support from, all right? He says, I love you so much, I'll let you financially support me. Don't receive any help from anyone else, but I want to receive it from you. He loves it so much. In fact, at one point he says, you are my joy and crown. I mean, that's quite a compliment, isn't it, to be a joy and crown. This is a great church. I would, I would love to be a member of this church. So even at this point, 10 or so years on, after it had begun, it was a great church. But listen, if you go back to Acts 16, all right, when it first started, you'd be shocked at how it began. It began very unpromisingly. And I want to just remind you of what happened back in Acts 16. Very unpromisingly, that's right. And I want to just remind you what happened back in Acts chapter 16 at its start. So so I don't need to turn back with me to it, but I just want to recount the story. You'll probably know the story, right? Paul and Silas, they arrive in Philippi and they begin to share the gospel outside the walls of the town where the, where the, the, the Jews tended to meet. And uh, he shares the gospel and we read in chapter 16, verse 14, it says, one of those that were there uh, was a lady from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. 
a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the message of Paul. All right, this, this lady, this merchant, it seems to have been the first, first convert. And then, apparently, others of her household also get saved. So, so far, so good. The next person we come across is a slave girl who's got, who's, who's demonized, a demonized slave girl. And if you know the story, she's following Paul, and she's shouting at Paul, and shouting at Paul, and eventually Paul turns around and sets her free from the demonic influence. And and I guess, probably, she kind of joins that first little group, all right? And then, because the girl is set free, her owners have Paul and Silas dragged before the authorities, and, and they are thrashed publicly, I mean, thrashed until they could hardly stand. Very humiliating in front of everyone. And then they're put in the stocks, they're put in chains, and they're taken down into a dark pit under the ground, the dungeon, and they are kept there, which immediately isn't a good way to start a church. It's not a good start. All right? They are beaten up, humiliated in chains. But you'll probably know the story, all right? There's an earthquake. The actual guy who's guarding them, the jailer, he gets saved. And then the jailer takes them back to his house. And then it says that the jailer's household also come to faith. They get baptized. So this is the jailer. I imagine the jailer, big, hairy, and hulky. All right? He's tough. He's a jailer. Well, he and his family get saved. And that's a, a wonderful thing, which is astonishing. But listen to this. The very next day, the day after, Paul and Silas leave. They go. They just leave them. And if you ask the question, what did they leave behind? It's not very strong. All right? If you just think about this, I think what's left on the ground is the oddest, most dysfunctional, unpromising bunch of people you could ever have to plant a new church, all right? They are dysfunctional. I mean, think about it. What must have their first church service have been like? Ever thought about that? We know they met in Lydia's home, all right? And she, all right, she's a merchant, so I imagine her home is probably quite nice. Uh, She's quite sophisticated. I imagine she's very tidy, I imagine that around her house is like uh, curtains, like lace curtains, cushions that are being embroidered, shag, what do they call it, shagpole carpet, lovely thick and lovely and nice, and flower pots everywhere, and chandelier swinging, and, and a lovely, lovely, nice place. I was thinking, well, what place do I know that's like that? I thought, oh, the Haddo's place is just like that. <laughs> really nice place. If you've been to their place, you'll know it's a beautiful place, beautifully laid out. It's a lovely place. I imagine it's her place, just like that. I imagine that's the kind of place that she had. And then when she's beginning this first service, right, I imagine getting all the china out and pouring the tea and getting the little cookies out and the little scones that she's made and the biscuits and the, and the, and the little this jam, this and jam that. And she's out there on the coffee table. There's a tap on the door, and the first person who comes to the door is the girl who was a demonized slave girl. I mean... We don't know what hang-ups or trauma she's been through. But I can imagine her tiptoeing in the back and sitting down and, uh, you know, Lydia and the others trying to make her feel as at home as they can. Then just as she sits down, there's a knock on the door and, of course, 
the other lot arrive, all right? The jailer arrives. And you can imagine him, again, he is tough. He is used to torturing people. He's used to beating people. He's used to imprisoning people. He is rough and he is tough. I imagine his family is the same as he is. He's probably not quite straight in his head. I imagine the kids rampaging through this nice, nice, tidy house and uh, drawing on the walls and scoffing all the cake. And, you know, there she is, Nadia sitting there with her head buried in her hands. And can you imagine her trying to make small talk with uh, uh, the jailer who's just come in? I mean, this jailer who's so rough and tough. What would you say to someone like that? You know, how was your day? (laughs) Who did you torture today? Anybody interesting? Who did you whip? I mean, common ground is just not there, is it? And you wonder about that very, very first service. And then just one other thing, not only that, but most of them had never even been in a service before. They wouldn't even know what to expect. So they'd sit down and look at each other, looking at each other, and be thinking, well, who's got the guitar? Well, what do you need a guitar for? I don't know. (laughs) What shall we do? I don't know. Do we pray? Well, pray to who? It's like there's, there's all this kind of confusion, this is, because Paul's not there, no one's there. The point I'm trying to make is that this is not the ace New Frontiers church planting team, all right, it's not, it's a shambles, it's not even a connect group actually, can you imagine if that was your connect group, I don't know. The chances of it surviving are very slim and especially when you think of where they are. Because they're in Philippi, remember, and Philippi is a full-on, hardcore Roman town made up of retired Roman soldiers who hate anything else other than what they've been brought up with. They are rough and they are tough. That's why the Jews couldn't meet in the town. They had to meet outside the town. Listen, according to them, the church doesn't stand a chance. It is a hostile environment. This is the beginning of the Philippian church and also... Paul is gone, all right? Paul is gone. Doesn't stand a chance. And yet, and yet, according to Paul, this group has one crucial thing in its favor, and it's this. It is God who began it, all right? It is God who began it. The God who chooses the foolish things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not God started it. And Paul's confidence is that if God begins something, then he will carry it through to its completion or its perfection. That's Paul's confidence. And 10 years on, against all the odds, this church is thriving, it's moving forward, it's bearing fruit all around the ancient world, and it's still bearing fruit today because we're learning from it. That is quite some work of God. That's pretty good. And the application's obvious, isn't it? Because God began us as a church too. And I could tell you the story, I could read through the prophecies, but actually just a few days ago we were in our lounge and uh, we're talking to one or two people and I was just remembering back to when we began the church in the lounge. And I think, gosh, look how God has carried us this far by his grace. And actually, I'm trusting and I'm confident that God will continue to carry us on and fulfill all that God has for us as a people. Hallelujah. God has given us amazing prophecies, frightening in terms of their size and scale. 
but no more crazy than Abraham had as a childless man that he would become a father of the nations. God can do it, you see. And what is true of the church is also true of you and me individually, isn't it? All right? He who began a good work in you, the fact is God has begun a good work in you. All right? That is the truth. Look, if you're a believer this morning, all right, if, you are, if you've given your life over to Jesus and put your trust in him, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, then God has already begun a good work in you. doesn't matter how you're feeling this morning, whether you're feeling great or whether you're feeling terrible. It doesn't matter. God has begun a good work in you. And I know that because the Bible's clear. Before we came to Jesus, Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in our sins. Right? Once we were dead in sin. That means we were spiritually dead. We were unable to communicate with God. It doesn't say we were sick in our sin and could kind of claw our way to God and make our way to him. No, it says we were, we were dead in our sin. It's like a person who's born blind and he can't see the color orange, all right? A blind man can't. The, the, the sense isn't there. And so it was with, with us in God. We couldn't have the sense. We couldn't see. We just didn't know how to communicate with this God because we were dead in our sins, spiritually dead. But what does Ephesians go on to say? It says this. It says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. In other words, God stepped in, he came to us, he breathed life into us, and we became alive to him. How beautiful is that? He began a good work in us. He started it. He put within you that first little yearning in your heart to know him. The first little inkling that there might be a God after all. I still remember as a teenager many years ago from a totally unchurched background, never been to a church before in my life, but I still remember one night standing under the stars and thinking, is there a God? And I remember praying my first prayer, which was, are you really there? And I remember thinking, I think I need to go to church, though I didn't know what church even looked like. I think I need to go. And I look back on that now and I can see that was God beginning a good work in me. He was beginning, giving me that first desire for him. And listen, you may be sitting here this morning, and I don't know why you've come. Maybe you've been dragged by someone else. Or maybe you've just decided to come and check us out. And you're just sitting there thinking, I don't know. I see them worshipping. They seem to be worshipping someone they know. They seem to be engaging with this God. I don't know. I, is he really there? That might be you. Let me just tell you, God is at work in you. He's moved into your life and he's beginning to awaken you and stir you to seek him. And I just want to say to you, be very responsive to him because you have the privilege of the God of all heaven and earth and beyond beginning to move in on your life. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. God is beginning a good work in you. And then, as the rest of us can testify, he brings us through to salvation. We are born again of the Spirit. We become children of God. Hallelujah. And then it carries on because it doesn't finish there. All right? He carries us on to completion. In other words, there is a completed picture 
of how you will ultimately be and what you will ultimately become in God's heart. He has a completed picture of what you shall be. And let me just give you a heads up, it is glorious. And I know it's glorious because Romans 8 says, he is conforming you to the image of his son. In other words, he is shaping you to become like Jesus. All right, he's shaping you to become like him in love, in holiness, in purity, in intimacy with the Father, in glory. Folks, we shall be like him. That is when it will be complete. That is when it will be perfect and it is in the heart of God. However ordinary you feel, this is the completed picture. I love actually what um, the famous author C.S. Lewis says. C.S. He says this, It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. He says, halfway down, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Just let that sink in for a second, especially those last lines. There are no ordinary people, right? There are simply those who will reject Jesus and those who will receive him as Lord. For those who reject him, there is a bleak, bleak future of loss, of regret, and of hopelessness. That's just the reality. That's what the Bible says. Do not reject him. For those who receive him, there is everlasting splendor. So much so that if you met your future self now, you'd be tempted to bow down and worship it. So glorious will you be. Listen, there is a completed picture of you in the heart of God, and God is committed to carrying you through to that end. He began a good work. He is committed to carrying it through. And Paul's burden in Philippians is that we know how to respond to this incredible truth. You see, we could simply respond by saying, well, wonderful, what a great thought, Pete. God's got my back. He's carrying me through. I don't have to do anything then. I can just carry on the way I always have done. I can just sit all day on my PS4 or, or bury myself in my career or my sport or my hobby or that pet sin that no one else knows about so it's okay. I can just carry on like I've always done. Turn up at church and, yeah, do the church thing. You could respond that way. But listen, as you read on in Philippians, you'll find that that is not an option, certainly not for Paul. You see, I love what Paul says in chapter 3 of verse 12. Paul says this. He says, not that I've already obtained all this 
and what he means. Not that I've already obtained that immortal splendor, that completed picture. I've not got there yet, all right? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, what he's saying is, Christ has taken hold of me for something, something wonderful, a glorious splendor. In fact, he died on a cross to get me there, and he's poured out his spirit to carry me there. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to press on, position myself to take hold of as much as I can now. That's what he's saying. If Christ has got hold of me to make me a glorious son of God, a prince of heaven, one who will reign with him and judge angels, then look, as far as I can, I'm going to start living like that now. That's what he's saying. I'm going to build my life around that expectation, knowing that the Spirit of God in me is drawing me in that direction. Can you see, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. That's what Paul's really saying here. And so, so practically, <laughs> practically, what does that mean? Well, well, practically what it means is, <laughs> I thought about this practically. What does it mean to press on then and position myself around this truth? Practically what it means for me is this. I'm going to make Jesus my deepest love and my greatest passion. That's what I'm going to do. It means I refuse to settle for mediocrity. I refuse to settle for shallow faith and easy sin. It means with the Spirit's help, I'm going to make some choices. I'm going to ditch those things that sap me of faith and love, and I'm going to embrace those things that grow it. It's simple choices. And of course, this will mean different things for each of us because we're different people. We're all different. For me, it's making really simple choices like, I'm not going to watch that thing on the TV. It just doesn't bless me. I don't feel full of faith at the end of that. I'm just going to leave it. In fact, I don't watch that much TV these days anyway. I'm not going to be sitting on YouTube or doodling around on Facebook all the time because it distracts me. It takes away my, my, just, yeah, just my focus. This is what it means for me. Over the years, it's been making careful choices about what books I could get into. I read. I love to read books, and, and uh, I love history books. And uh, over the years, I've, I kind of read history books about the war or, or conflicts in the, in, in the past, and, and, and they can get me down. I just find they get me down. And Julie's often said to me, you've been reading that book again, haven't you? <laughs> I think, yeah, I know, I know. It just doesn't bless me or feed my soul. For you, it may be other things. It may be the kind of people you hang out with, maybe the, the, the stuff you look at on the internet. Oh, Peter, it's not hardcore porn. Does it feed you? Does it bless you? Does it grow your love for God? Maybe how much you drink. For me, it's also making choices, maybe a bit more quietly, about putting time aside just to pray or, or to seek his face. Or to go for a walk with God or, or, or read a devotional that will put fire in my soul. See, simple choices. Really what it means is that we learn to pray a certain kind of prayer that's preserved for us right here in Philippians, the first chapter. It's when Paul prays this. He says this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless 
for the day of Christ. What is best? That's what this is really about. It's resolving to go for something radical. Let's go for what is best. Let's go for those kinds of choices. You see, for too long, I just want to put it out there, for, for too long, many of us may have settled for what is merely okay. Okay. Right? I mean, we're not drifting into outrageous sin or open rebellion. We're not doing that. But we're not really in love with God either. We're not really fired with passion for Jesus. We're not on fire. Maybe we once were, but somehow life has crashed in and busyness has come in and, 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 and raising the kids and paying the bills and, and, and reaching the deadline and, and there's so much going our way. And we quietly settle for grey, for the okay, and time passes. Listen, if that's you this morning, can I just say to you as I close, God wants to speak to you. He wants to remind you of something, and it's this. He began a good work in you. He began a good work in you, and he has a completed picture of you in his heart. It is an immortal splendor, and it is made for glory. And his heart is that you begin to lay hold of it again. And if you do, you will transform not only your own life, but the life of those around you. Amen. This is our calling. This is our calling, to press on and lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. And as we go on in this series, this Philippian series, God is wanting to challenge us and bring us back into New Testament Christianity. New Testament passion for him. Radical commitment. The putting aside of those things that would sap our faith and drag us down. And that we might step in and radically lay hold of the glory that he has laid out for us. And allow it to affect our lives now that it might transform the lives around us. It's a wonderful calling. Are you up for that? Let's go for it, shall we? It's there in the word of God. Let's stand. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just as we close, it's not that God stops working. It's that he is deeply at work now. I believe it. And I just want to keep this in front of you. There are two, two responses this morning, really. One is this. If you know you've never asked the Lord Jesus into your life to forgive you for your sins, to come in and be your saviour. In other words, you're not sure where you stand. That stark contrast that was laid out earlier, that immortal horror, immortal splendour. Reality is that if you die tonight, you don't know which side you'd be in. truth is you don't know how long you've got you really don't that's not just to put the screws in it's just reality when Jesus has died to bring you in to glory why would you ever want to miss out if 
you aren't sure where you stand this morning, you know you've never consciously asked him to be your saviour, you can do it right now. And your eternity changes. And you have an assurance that you are loved and that you're in the family. He's already at work in you. You just need to respond to him. I'd be treating you badly if I didn't give an opportunity for response, if that's you, when the stakes are so high. We're going to sing a song in a moment. As we do, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come forward. And I want to stand with you and pray with you and introduce you to your Savior. And see you come through to salvation. So we'll do that in just a second. But I also want to appeal to others here this morning. And you know, it's not that you're an outrageous rebellion. I'm not backsliding, Pete. But you know you've lost some fire. You know you're no longer going for the best. You're just trying to survive. You know you've given up laying hold of anything. You know you've lost your way. If that's you this morning, God has begun a great work in you he will bring you through and this morning may be the first step in getting back on the horse and allowing him to bring you through to the next phase so don't walk out of here still feeling grey when God has called you to be on fire don't leave here feeling mediocre when God has called you to lay hold of glory so if you would like to respond then we'd love to pray with you as well Holy Spirit, we we love you, Lord, and we thank you so much that, Lord Jesus, you went to the cross to bring us through. You didn't just save us from hell, as, as astonishing as that is, but you died to save us into heaven, into the family, into, into being a child of God. You, you died to save us, to bring us into love and mercy and grace you died to bring us into an immortal splendor and a completed picture so we thank you for that and we pray pour out your Holy Spirit upon our lives please we want to move on and make choices that don't just reflect okay but that reflect the best choices that will bring us through to purity and holiness and more and more faith and love and glory that you would also share with us. Father, we ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to close now with a song. Again, just put it out there. If any of those two categories applies to you, we would love to pray for you. Just sing, Cheryl. Just as we sing.